0: Thank you.
1: Good morning, everyone, and a very warm welcome to morning worship at Hillhead. It's lovely to see you all this morning. Our service this morning will be led by our minister, Katrina, uh, but also taking part in the service are Elaine and Graham, who will lead us in the Lord's Prayer, Rachel and hopefully Christian, who will read scripture for us, and Elizabeth, who will lead our prayers for others. Our musicians this morning are Paul and Yang Yang. And in just a moment, Bethany will be lighting our candle. Then this evening at 7pm, Helen Stimson will lead our evening reflection and that service will be on Zoom only. Then today marks the end of Christian Aid Week and thank you to everyone who has already donated through our Just Giving page. If you're still to do that and would like to do that, and um, make sure you do it by the end of today as our page closes tonight. You'll find the link to the Just Giving page for Christian Aid, both on yesterday's email and in this month's edition of The Key. And just a wee reminder that next Sunday, our old friends Jindrich and Vendula will be visiting us from Prague and hoping to join us for worship in the hotel so look out for them next Sunday, and they may well have uh, their son on stage with them as well. And at the end of next Sunday service, it would be really helpful if those who are worshipping on site in the hotel could wait for just a few minutes at the end of the service to share some ideas about how we can share out the tasks required to make worship at the hotel possible. I promise uh, we won't keep you long and your input would be very much appreciated. So if you're coming to the hotel next Sunday, do keep in mind we might need another 10 minutes or so after the service just to have a wee hotel breakout room while the Zoom folk are in their own breakout rooms. But time now for Bethany to light our candle.
2: As we gather for worship, let us join together to become the body of Christ. Christ is the light that lights our way. May we glimpse Christ's light
3: this day. We pray with the psalmists, drawing on words attributed to King David. Let us pray. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth and indeed throughout the universe. From the lips of babies and children, you have ordained praise, and you expect no less of adolescents and adults. When we look up at the sky, seeing the moon and the stars, we wonder why you were interested in us, mere human beings in all our brokenness, frailty and finitude. Yet you have entrusted all creation to us, earth and sea, Plants and animals. You believe in us, love us, and gift us for life in all its fullness. You created each one of us just as we are, watching the cells divide and the fetus form, rejoicing in the potential for life. Even before our birth, you knew us intimately, delighting in our uniqueness and diversity, celebrating all that we might yet become. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen.
1: Our Father who Who art in heaven. heaven,
0: See
2: First reading today is from Genesis 1. God spoke, Let us make human beings in our image, make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself, and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. God created human beings, He created them godlike, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female. God blessed them. Prosper, reproduce, fill the earth, take charge, be responsible for the fish in the sea and the birds in the
1: air and for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. God looked over everything he had made. It was so good, so very good.
3: It was evening, it was morning. Day six. So our second reading comes from Galatians chapter three. In Christ, you are all children of God through faith. As many as you who are baptised into Christ have clothed yourselves in Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring heirs according to the promise. does it mean to be made in God's image? This is a question academic theologians and ordinary followers of Jesus have asked and do ask themselves over and over again. It's an important question because it's one to which the answer is more complicated and more wonderful than we can ever imagine or understand. If the poetic words of Genesis 1 speak truth, and I am convinced that they do, then it means something about unity in diversity rather than monotone uniformity. Last week, I was at the Baptist Union of Great Britain and BMS Assembly in Bournemouth, and I spotted this poster on one of the display boards. I would say that rather than a statement of what is now, it's an expression of, a, of hope for what is an ongoing process, a story or a journey, if you like. What might it mean to work towards a theology of unity and diversity? This is something that lies at the very heart of who we are as a church who we aspire to become here at Hillhead. To be truly inclusive, truly welcoming, truly open is endlessly demanding. It risks repeated disappointment because there aren't any quick answers or easy fixes. One of my minister friends, Reverend Craig Gardner, who is was a tutor at South Wales Baptist College and a member of the Iona community was also assembly, at assembly. And he shared this photograph that he'd taken whilst walking on the beach during one of the breaks. The words with which I have captioned it are not mine, they are his. This, if you like, is a sermon in pictorial form a diverse people sharing physical common ground. Baptists together, the popular name for the Baptist Union of Great Britain, but maybe also a really useful phrase, a diverse people sharing and perhaps seeking metaphorical common ground as we walk in the footsteps of Jesus. If I can plagiarize a well-loved poem, when you see many overlapping footprints, perhaps it was then that you walked together with Jesus. Each year, somebody is elected to serve as a president of the Baptist Union of Great Britain, a role that's partly ceremonial, where they act as an ecumenical representative at big events and partly as a figurehead, visiting local churches to encourage them, but importantly, because they feel they have something to share with the wider Baptist community. This year, the president is a Reverend Haley Young, who describes herself as a millennial. That is somebody that became an adult around the turn of the century, 20 years ago. Haley is passionate about inclusion and diversity. And her theme for this year is building a bigger table. And this image is one that she chose to display on her standard assembly. Whatever you make of the art, every symbol within it is carefully chosen. We need to keep making the table bigger, that all may be welcomed and celebrated. If you've been part of Hillhead for a long time, you may recognise this photograph. It actually dates back to 2014 and a communion week service that we held just after I came back from an English Baptist assembly that year. During our service, a long table was set up and a beautiful white tablecloth was spread. Everybody who was present was invited to write their name on a place card and set that on the table alongside the names of the people groups that were mentioned in the liturgy. After the service, I gathered up the cards and pinned them to the wall of the snug, where they were a reminder to us of the beauty of our own diversity and the truth that everyone is made in the image and likeness of God. Genesis 1 may speak of the whole of humanity as being created in the image and likeness of God. But if we read on through scripture, the stories show us how this truth was all too soon lost, as families and societies fragmented, as people were excluded or marginalized, and as nations and religions defined who was in and who was out. The early followers of Jesus really struggled out, sorry, really struggled to work out how his radical teaching should affect their lives, who indeed should be allowed in, and who must be kept out. The words from the church at Galatia are well-known and well-loved, and you've heard me preach on them many times. And it seems to me that they are still central to what it means to be a unity in diversity. It's as if the writer says, do you know what? It's not that complicated. It's just this. In Christ, all these humanly defined binary constructs are meaningless. Nationality or ethnicity are irrelevant. Wealth or poverty, caste or class have no meaning here. Even the dual male and female has no purpose in defining who may or may not participate or to what extent. In Christ, you are one. Unity in diversity the image of God glimpsed in the variety of humanity, not just tolerating one another, but learning to truly love, respect, equip, and empower each other. One of the huge challenges faced by Baptist Christians across these islands relates to what is often referred to as human sexuality something that is often centred on one specific part of the rainbow spectrum of experience, because that's the bit that gets mentioned in the Bible. Sometimes the church of God moves like a mighty tortoise and Baptists are especially sluggish. Over the past few years, there has been a growing network of Baptists, mostly in England and Wales, who are now beginning to speak out. A network called Affirming Baptist Together has begun producing a series of videos, the most recent of which features the Reverend David Kerrigan, former Director General of BMS World Mission. As we continue to reflect on what it means to be made in God's image, as part of the rainbow people of God, I invite you to listen to what David has to say.
4: I've heard people say that we have something of a theological problem in respect of LGBT people and the church. I don't think that's the case at all. What I think we have is a pastoral crisis and it's something we need to address and do it with urgency. I can remember when I was young and I was searching for truth and searching for answers. I walked into a Baptist church one day and my life changed. I was welcomed by the people there. They took me into their lives. And over a period of two or three years, uh, two older couples in particular invested in me, took me through the scriptures, spent hours answering my questions, helped me to understand what it means to be part of the family of God, to be the recipient of his unconditional grace. Since then, that's all I've ever wanted for anyone else. Everything else gets out of the way I just want people to experience God's grace in their homecoming. Sadly, this sense of homecoming hasn't been the experience of many of my gay friends. Think of a young man who came out in his church, an act that took real courage, Almost immediately, some people stopped talking to him. Others probably wanted to, but didn't know how to. Eventually, disheartened, he left the church. I think of a couple I know who were assured of a warm welcome in the church, and I think the church meant it. But over time, they realised that not everyone wanted them to receive communion. They weren't able to become church members. They weren't trusted to share in the leadership of work amongst the young people. They too left the church disheartened. The strange thing is when I look at the Bible and the example of Jesus, I don't see this kind of thing there at all. I see Jesus intentionally reaching out and spending time with those that other people rejected. So he had meals with sinners, he spent time with women who were outcasts in society. He touched those with leprosy and healed them. He spoke well of Samaritans who the people of the day looked down upon. He did it for a purpose. He did it to tell us that it is not possible to be his follower and to keep people on the margins. We are not the gatekeepers for those who want to come to Christ. We show the way, we point the way, and then get out of the way. Our role is not to stand in the path and make decisions about who can and cannot be a part of the church, can use their gifts in the church, can celebrate the sacraments in the church. This has got to stop. So where do we go from here? Well, thankfully, we have no choice we go back to scripture, the gift of God to his church for moments like this. And yes, we accept to the outset that there are a small number of verses in scripture that speak negatively about homosexuality. I'll come back to those in a moment. But understanding how we bridge the world of the Bible and the world today and how we've done it in the past is key to this. Let me give you a couple of examples. In the book of Genesis, we read about Abraham having a slave. There's no censure of Abraham for having a slave. In the book of Ezra, we read about 40,000 Israelites leaving Babylon and going back to Jerusalem, and they took with them 7,000 slaves. There's no word of censure about the slaves. In the book, in the New Testament, uh, Paul writes to Philemon about the runaway slave Onesimus. He doesn't chastise Philemon for having a slave, He says he's come to faith, receiving back into your household as a brother. In that way, we see how some of those verses have been used down through the centuries to justify the slave trade. Millions of people were transported from their homes, men, women, and children, into abject torture and suffering and justified by scripture. Today, we wouldn't for one moment accept that it's right for anybody to be held as a slave. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, I do not permit women to speak in church. And that verse and verses like it have been used down through the years to deny women's voices and deny women's places in the church. And thankfully in recent generations, that too has begun to change. It's not complete yet but today we celebrate the voices and the place and the leadership of women in our church. We've bridged the gap between the world of the Bible and our world today. And we've allowed the Bible to speak afresh into today's world. In the same way, the experience of homosexuality in the biblical world was so different to what it is today. Then it was violent, it was oppressive, it was domineering. It was a display of power by powerful men towards those who were younger and weaker. Today, we see loving, faithful, God-honouring relationships between gay people, those of faith and those not yet of faith. and We long for those stories to come into the life of the church and take their place alongside the stories of others to experience that homecoming to experience that sense of God's unconditional grace. Our job has always been to signpost people to God and enable them to make that journey. It is never our task to stand in the path and to exercise judgment about who can and who cannot come close, come in and play a full role in the life of the church. We need to go back to scripture and rework our understanding of God's amazing, unconditional grace for everyone. I said earlier, this is something of a crisis. A crisis is like a crossroads. We have to make a decision about where we're going to go. I, for one, do not want to stay frozen to the spot at the crossroads. I want to make progress on this issue. Over the past 10 years or so, I've had countless conversations with pastors of local churches and in the privacy of those conversations many of them have said to me that in their hearts they long to be more inclusive and affirming of gay people in the life of the church. What stops them is fear. Some are afraid of their congregations, some are afraid of their peers, some are afraid of their regional ministers and that fear paralyzes the conversation. At the same time, I've had conversations with what we might call ordinary people in the pew. For many of the Christians in our churches today, in their workplace, gay people have come out and are celebrated as equals as they are elsewhere in society, and they want the same in the church. But they also experience fear. They wonder, what will my pastor think if he or she knows what I have in my heart? And it's this complex web of fear that strangles conversation. We need to go back to scripture and see there the truth that the love of God, the perfect love of God casts out fear. We need not be frightened about talking about this issue. Not for our sake, but for the sake of the gay community whose lives are stunted and broken and destroyed often because they do not experience that unconditional welcome in the life of our church. For too long, we've kicked the can down the road. We've left it to someone else to try and resolve. I don't want to do that anymore. It's time to now resolve the issue in our generation. We can do it if we can find the courage to face it and start having these conversations.
2: to our intercessory prayers we come with many different emotions some of us will be feeling happy contented, some sad bereaved, confused and anxious I would like to begin with a prayer from the 14th century from Thomas Akempus let us pray O Lord my God do not be far from me my God have regard to help me I have many thoughts and great fears afflicting my soul. How will I pass through unhurt? How will I break them to pieces? This is my hope, my one only consolation, to flee to you in every tribulation, to trust in you, to call on you from my inmost heart, and to wait patiently for your consolation. Lord God, We come to you today in a world that is confused, broken and finding life hard. So many are struggling to feed families and themselves. Many are finding affording to travel to work increasingly difficult. Many are in despair. We pray that you will speak into the minds of those in a position to help. We ask that you will turn cold hearts into hearts of compassion and that there would be justice in this world. Our hearts continue to be saddened at the plight in Ukraine, Sudan, Ethiopia, Afghanistan, and many other countries in this world where there is war and conflict. We earnestly pray for there to be peace once more in these lands. We pray that all who are seeking to bring aid to these countries will be given rightful access to help those in desperate need. We ask that you will give strength to all who are oppressed, comfort to those who have lost their loved ones, and bring a calmness to all those who are scared. In our own fellowship this week, we remember and pray for the managers, trustees and office holders. Nassie, Sal, Nickham and Nickyar, Lilius and family, Marit and Tom, Alan, Edith and Tom, Bethany, Emma and Drew, Jane S and Wendy. We remember the wider Baptist family in churches at Dunoon, Dunrosness, East Mains and Easterhouse. We pray that the compassion and love of Jesus would spread throughout these areas as the churches serve in their communities. BMS asks us to pray for BMS partners, Asia Pacific Baptist Federation, who are church planting in Thailand. In North Africa, we are asked to pray for God's protection for BMS supported church planters. God's guidance is requested for BMS workers Ben and Gillian Francis who are leading a large team of church planters in India. As we bring these prayers to our Heavenly Father, I'm going to end with a prayer of Reinhold Niebuhr. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can and wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time. Enjoying one moment at a time. Accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. Taking, as Jesus did, the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will. So that I may be reasonably happy in this life. I'm supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen.
3: God bless us with the assurance that we are known and loved just as we are. May Christ show us how to celebrate diversity and live courageously. May the Spirit give us wisdom to know when to speak and what to say, so that all may come to know the truth that sets us free and to live life in all its fullness. Amen.